going to share some stuff that the Lord's been bringing me through because it's fresh on my heart. Um, after we got back from the retreat where Jeremy crashed and burned, the Lord, uh, <laughs> the Lord said something to me. He said, I want you to study military strategy. And um, I was like, what? Uh, I'm not really that kind of a dude. You know, Rick Joyner, I, I see him, you know, taking history books and just eating it up and, and then gets some kind of revelation and gives it back to you in a way where you're just like, oh, that's so amazing. I want to study the history of education. Um, but that's not me normally. So, so I said, Lord, if, if this is something that, that you really want me to learn and you want me to grow in, like there needs to be some serious, awesome, revelatory stuff in it for me. And uh, it was after a leadership meeting. We, we were at Barnes & Noble. And as we were walking in, it was uh, Ariel Ortiz and I. I said, God, if, if you want me to get one of these books, uh, I just asked that it would have a prophetic title and stand out to me as being the one that you want me to read. And I'm looking through, and, and I don't know if you've ever looked in the military history or military strategy type section. Yes, one dude. Those books are massive. I was like, oh, my gosh, they're so big. And I saw one, and, of course, it's massive. And I, and I felt the Lord when I read the title, and the title was Invisible Armies. I was like, oh, man, that's so big. So, so um, kind of not wanting to read such a big book, <laughs> I looked at Ariel and I said, hey, pick a number between 1 and 500, because this book has like 600 pages. And as soon as I said that, I heard 23. Now, the number she says is 23. I'm like, oh, that's another confirmation. And I turned to page 23. Now, this is a secular military book. And on page 23, he is talking about the fulfillment of Christ's prophecy of the temple being destroyed in Jerusalem. I'm like, okay, got it. Actually, hey, John, hold the book, or bring it up to me. I just, if I'm going to read a book this thick, I want everybody to know that I'm reading a book this thick. Because I am so humble that you need to know that I'm reading a thick book. Look at that. So, the Lord had me start to read this. It's like the thickness of a baseball bat. <clears throat> but, uh, it's Invisible Armies, an epic history of guerrilla warfare from ancient times to the present. And I'm a couple chapters in, and I find there's something called the guerrilla paradox, or the nomad paradox. And this whole book is about the nomad paradox, or the guerrilla paradox. And what it is, it's how the weak overcome the strong. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this is the story of the body of Christ and how we keep getting defeated. We have all these promises from the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God himself upon and moving through us. And most of us are living beneath the potential that we have. So, I'm going to share some of the stories in my tone, and hopefully tie it all together at the end. So, in the beginning, it talks about an army, and an army is a group of soldiers in a specific geography that come together for one purpose. And the motivation of the army, or in order to have 
to really build an army, the soldiers must be motivated to lay down their lives for the sake of a higher cause. Now, there's a, uh, a ministry, we've talked about it briefly, called Time to Revive. In fact, I was meeting with some of these guys this afternoon. And, um, and in some of the meetings that they'd had a couple months ago, there were churches from all these different denominations. I mean, Presbyterian, we had, I think there was a Catholic priest there. I mean, it was, I was like, this is incredible. All these different denominations are coming together. And what was so uh, impactful to me was I thought, how on earth are you going to have all these different denominations come together for, for one thing? And the one thing that everybody agreed on, that one motivating factor for laying down their lives, that one thing is that the lost, the lost need Jesus. Now, um, for those of you that went to the Power and Love Conference last week, this is a, a fact that I didn't know. Um, but that it was recounted for us, that 90% of the American church, the, the body of Christ in America, has not led somebody to the Lord. Now, just, just the odds, that should be a lot of people in this room. And the reason, I believe, is because we've reduced what the gospel is to being about going to church. We've made it more about what we get than what we become. And it's why it's so important to, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, not just salvation. Salvation's how we get in, but that's not the end of the story. I forget who said this, but, but um, the, the quote is, if the end goal of God was for us to go to heaven, the moment that we confess Christ, we would disappear and go to heaven. Jesus had more in mind than for us to go to church when he went on the cross. That's a Bill Johnson quote. Um, there's, there's certain evangelism methods that I... I don't correct in the moment, but I don't fully agree with because, because of the way that we preach the gospel. And, you know, one of them is when we make it all about going to heaven, really. It's not just about going to heaven. Or, or and I think most people don't like the, the uh, prosperity gospel or come to Jesus because of what you get. Or come to Jesus because he'll make your life better. The promise of Christ is that we have a transformed life. That if we say that we abide in him, we ought to walk in the same way that he walked. And, and if we go back to the garden, you think of, of everything that Jesus overcame for us. The moment that Adam ate from the tree. You know, God promised, you know, the day that you eat from the tree is the day you surely die right? I have like four people nodding. Yes? Okay. <clears throat> now, when they ate from the tree, did they fall over dead? No. So what died? Their spiritual life, their connection to the Father. They became spiritually dead and unrecognizable. 
And, and I actually believe that, so Jesus, when he's crucified, it said he was beaten beyond recognition. He became sin in the flesh. In the same way that we were unrecognizable spiritually to the Father after sin entered in, he became unrecognizable in the flesh. But now that Christ has come, we're new creations. It's more than just a story about going to heaven. It's the ability to live a transformed life. It is not good news if we get to go to heaven, but we're still in bondage to sin. It is not good news if, if we get to go to heaven, but we still have the same struggles that we had before we came to Christ. See, we're no longer in bondage to sin. We're new creations. Sin is not the mark on our lives. I was, uh, I was spending time with, um, with this couple that uh, one of them got saved on an outreach a few weeks ago. And the question was, well, if we get to go to heaven, um, and this, this was the, the person that was already saved. She said, well, if we get to go to heaven, why don't we just do what we want, and then God will forgive us, and, and we'll go to heaven. And I didn't, I didn't fully express what I'm about to, but <laughs> you can laugh. It's okay. But the, but the question implies that your desire is for sin. If your desire is for sin, you need to get born again. Because that old nature is the very thing that goes under the water and dies, that we participate in the crucifixion of Christ, that we die with him, and when we come out, we are new. That my desires have changed. I have no desire for sin. The gospel is more than just getting forgiven. It's becoming something new. Now this, this motive, this thing, we can rally around. We can come around the truth that we are new creations in Christ. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come up after me, he must deny himself take up his cross, and follow me. And when we preach the gospel in a self-serving way, we do it in justice because it's contrary to the truth that Jesus preached. Okay, you're all looking at me really serious again. Okay, we'll do this. Yeah, yeah, go on. I'm not joking, but kind of. Do this. Close your eyes, tip your head back, and just say, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> It's okay. All right. So back to the history from this massive book that I'm reading. Everybody remember, I am reading a massive book. <laughs> In all humility. <laughs> so in the Middle Ages, it actually changed the way that warfare happened. It was really interesting as I'm reading this. And the reason was because battles were no longer as decisive as they used to be. Because when, when two armies would meet on the field of battle, the one that was losing would retreat to the castle. And because the castles were so secure until the you know, cannons were invented, uh, the opposing army was not able to destroy the, the army that was hiding in the castle. But what they would do 
is a tactic called, forgive me, Marvin, you speak French, I'm sorry for what I'm about to do, the chevuchet, chevuchet, sounds good, it's French. Um, so the tactic was, it, and it sounds like a nice word, but it is a it has a terrible meaning. They would burn the town, they would kill whatever they wanted, rape, steal, kidnap, destroy everything that they could. And the idea was that if the enemy's army is, is hiding out in the castle, that by destroying everything in the countryside, you would lure them to come out. And the Lord spoke to me um, and said it's kind of like this with the body of Christ. That when we hide within the safety of the four walls, while we aren't destroyed, it's those that are outside that we're meant to protect, that those that we're meant to go after, those are the ones that get destroyed. The nomads, so the Eurasian nomads. Now, these were the Mongols and the Huns. Now, they had a, a unique um, set of skills. They were, um, one, they didn't have any personal belongings, but, but as they traveled from place to place, they were constantly practicing uh, warfare and strategies and, and tactics for fighting. And there's, there's a tactic that we see in the movies. It's called a Parthian shot. Anybody know what that is, Parthian shot? Nope. Okay. So what it is, is they would ride. It's, this is before stirrups. They're riding at full gallop. This is me riding. Here, this way, because I'm about to show you something that way. So full gallop, and then with a bow and arrow, they would turn around and shoot the person behind them, and they could make their target. Now, it was a highly skilled shot. In fact, they used it so well that they would actually attack the, a larger army, and then as they're faking a retreat, turn around and shoot them all. Now, what the historians found, though, was these nomads. Ha, ha, ha. It's okay to laugh. You have permission. <laughs> they found that these nomads, when they would conquer a region that was civilized, rather than impacting that civilization with their culture, they adopted the culture of this conquered area. Because a more civilized region had more comforts. So rather than embracing a lifestyle of hardship that they'd had previously of traveling and, and not having belongings and not having a place of rest, they adopted a lifestyle of complacency. And what they found was in doing that, they lost two significant things. One, they lost the skill for the Parthian shot. They could no longer do it because it required regular and consistent practice. Their skill, these mighty warriors lost their skill for warfare as they adopted a lifestyle of complacency and comfort. And the other thing that they lost was unity. They lost their sense of fellowship with those that they were in battle with. Now, I had... Um, in high school, uh, all of my friends, we all, everybody went to the Marines. I, I wanted to be a Marine. And I only have had or have, I've had people pray for it, but I don't know now, um, had one kidney. So they would never let me in. And, 
And if you want to pray for another kidney to manifest, you can. I'm just, I'm probably not going to go to a doctor and say, hey, I had a kidney removed. Will you check right here so I can, I just want to pay for this procedure for you to check right here. But um, <laughs> but when, when I had a friend named, named Jason, and he, he was my closest friend, and he went to the Marines. And he and I got together after he came back. And he wasn't the same. And one thing I noticed was he kept talking about these guys that he went through these things with and how, how he was going to spend his life with them. And they were his closest friends. And even though I had actually spent more time with him, because they went through something together with a common goal, and they, they went through it and protecting each other, that it caused this unity and this cohesion between them that I couldn't go anywhere near. Now, this is what the Mongols and the Huns lost, is when they stopped, they stopped pursuing a lifestyle that was embracing hardship. And this is something that, that we all face because we have a very comfortable nation. It is much easier, and, and as I say this, do not feel condemned. At, it is much easier to go through a grocery store, to go through your life, and letting your Christian walk happen only in this building or only in your prayer room. It's much easier, it's much less, it's much more comfortable than to actually talk to somebody that's a cashier and ask to pray for them or to share your faith with somebody. It's more comfortable. And I'm saying that not because I want you to feel condemned for, oh, I haven't prayed for anybody or I need to go on outreach or anything like that, which, shameless plug, we have outreach tomorrow night at 730. <laughs> but really, I want to encourage you to consider it. See, it always starts with considering the person in front of you. Remember, this gospel isn't about us anymore. We've lost that sense of selfishness. That now we have the same mind in us that's in Christ. Of esteeming others as more important than ourselves. There's something else about, um, I got from the book, is the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire lasted for 450 years. They had Western Europe, the Balkans, Anatolia, I don't know where that is, Northern Africa. It was this massive empire, but the legions of the Roman soldiers could never have been sustained by soldiers just from Rome. The reason that the Roman Empire was so successful is once they conquered an area, they turned their enemies into brothers who joined in the legion. I'm going I'm to use the word empire and kingdom interchangeably. Because that kingdom, the success that they had is the same success that we're meant to have. That the only way the body of Christ will be successful is if we turn our enemies into brothers. And if we stop seeing them as enemies. In Romans 5.10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. 
through the death of his son. That means that no matter what person you're looking at, you can see the way that they were created in Christ. You can love them for an identity that they haven't found themselves yet. Now, Rome, so they, not only did they turn their enemies into allies, into part of Rome, but they actually, they gave them the right to be citizens. So as part of the motive for joining their kingdom is they had an inheritance in the advancement of the kingdom. In the same way that as we teach people the inheritance of what they have, of who they've become, now that they're part of the kingdom, that motive arises to where, man, I can't help but talk to somebody about Jesus. Y'all doing all right? Yeah? Not too heavy, not too, oh, it's warfare, Jeff's being mean. No? Okay, good. I had two people smile. I'll take it. Ha, ha, ha. A cod, a ca okay, I think it's called a cod. I, I'm, keep in mind, I'm reading the book. Nobody's pronouncing this stuff for me. A cod, so the Akkadians in the Scorpion King, that's a cod. <clears throat> I tried to use a reference. Apparently nobody saw that because The Rock was the main actor. A cod was an empire that during the time of Mesopotamia. And... It was extremely successful, but they did something different than what the Romans did. Rather than giving the areas that they conquered an inheritance in the kingdom, they dominated them and pressed them down. And what, they, what happened was, as they continued advancing, they started having all these uprisings and, and revolts. And as this is happening, all these, these internal wars of the areas they've conquered, the army gets weakened. And the nations nearby, it was actually villages or, or tribes nearby, came and overtook them. And in the same way, the body of Christ, we have all these uprisings, these little divisions that come. It's a plan and a strategy of the enemy to have all these little divisions within us that the army gets weakened and so focused on the inward battles that they're not ready for the enemy that's going to come. Now, the way that we overcome some of those inner, uh, inner battles, Israel gave us an example in, this is not like super ancient, I think it's in the 70s when it started, in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, Israel was successful with preemptive raids on Palestinian nationalists. The strategy was based on one thing. It's easier to crush evils in their infancy than when grown to maturity. Now, what does that look like when we got stuff that's going on within us, within our own body even? Matthew 18, 15 to 17, if your brother or sister sins, Go point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. If something comes up with your brother or with your sister in the body, go and address it. You, you don't let that thing have more of a voice and have more longevity than it was meant to. And what we tend to do is, oh, man, this person did this thing against me. 
And rather than going and, and talking to them about it because we're afraid of confrontation, we'll talk to somebody else about it. And now that fire is spreading to where we have gossip that's happening, and now there's something that needs to be put out in the body again. But real love isn't afraid to talk to somebody or confront them on something. It doesn't mean, it, we have to overcome this, this fear. There's, there's fear all over the body. But we have to be able to confront things in love. We always speak the truth in love. So, I'm going to recap some of these highlights and pray the Lord ties it together. Because to me, it was a series of chapters that I'm trying to lead you all through in a few minutes. And I'm just doing this and I'm not sure why. <clears throat> so, we must be united in our region and motivated by the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom. We have to resist the urge for complacency. Our mission is to recognize that our enemies are future brothers and bring them into the kingdom. When we hide in the church, we have to realize that while we might not be the ones hurt, it's those future brothers, those future sisters, those people that haven't heard the good news that are hurt. In order for us to motivate others to pursue the advancement of the kingdom, we have to tell them what an inheritance they have in it. We have to make the gospel about more than just getting into heaven, but who we become through it. And lastly, we have to overcome the conflicts within us and unite again on the common goal of advancing the kingdom. I'm going to pray.